This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Hey everybody, it's John Halvey, Senior Editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. I'm in New York City at the venerable Blind Tiger Ale House down here on Bleecker Street. And I'm excited to have a guest in from out of town, uh, hanging out in the city for a couple of days, promoting your wares. Uh, Dave Engers from Founders Brewing Company, the co-founder of Founders, which was founded in 1997. 97. Did you... We've been doing this for a while. Did... Does that trip people up, like, when they introduce you as the co-founder of Founders? Yeah, I mean, we've been called a lot of things. Co-founder of Founders, um, Dirty Bastard. We've got, <laughs> you know, we've been called a lot of things over the years. Some beer names, uh, some as insults. Yeah. 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 Um, what brings you into the city? Uh, really, we came out here to, you know, we always come in to uh, see our team. We've got uh, about 170 people on our sales force across wow. the U.S., um, anyway, so uh, it's always kind of fun to come out here and mm-hmm. see some accounts, see some old friends, and uh, always grab a beer, talk to our wholesalers. I remember drinking your beer early on in my drinking career, and I remember meeting you early on when I first started writing about beer. And to hear 170, 100, what, 71 people on your sales staff these days? Yeah, and, about 170. And I read somewhere that you guys are north of 500 employees right now. Uh, yeah, last I, I mean, it, obviously it fluctuates, but around 576 last I knew. So coming up on 600 employees. I mean, yeah. you, you guys are massive right now, which well, is you know, really kind of remarkable because, and I want to get into, you know, what happened to you guys back in like 01 or, you know, uh, you know in some of the, some of those early days, like when you were running into uh, some, some money troubles, uh, it yeah. seems like, you know, and I want to, because I think that that's something that is facing a lot of brewers these days and you guys obviously lived through it and you know not only survived but 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 thrived um yeah i mean i think a lot of you know when we actually got into the industry and you know 97 there are a bunch of breweries that were opening up and the the that's kind of the time that a lot of uh breweries were actually going out of business yeah um our we we kind of thought our window of opportunity yeah yeah we thought our window of opportunity was closing you know, and now we look back 21 years later and people, you know, kind of refer to us as some of the veterans of the industry. So we're, you know, we always kind of refer to ourselves as second generation. Um, you know, we, we've got to tip our hat to some of the folks that did the heavy lifting and the, the trailblazing, the Ken Grossmans and Fritz Maytag and Larry Bell down at, you know, at the time as Kalamazoo Brewing Company. Um, but having Larry, you know, um, with his brewery just an hour south of us in Kalamazoo, Michigan, we're up in Grand Rapids. Um, those a lot of those folks did a lot of the heavy lifting for us um, during our generation of breweries. Um, you know, it was kind of the, the introduction of the internet, and so we I think our generation of brewers really kind of created a beer culture, and you know, kind of created the enthusiast community. Um, and so we've been we've been very fortunate that you know as, as we have grown. Even 12 years ago, we we only had about 20 employees. Um, and then we have just we got to this point where we were we were too big to be you know a, a regional player and we were too small to be a national player. So we kind of doubled down, made some. Because that's a shitty place to be. Well, it's it's I think where a lot of businesses end up, and you have to make a decision. Do you want to 
modify your business model to stay where you are and kind of hone in, you know, in your in a certain region, or do you want to double down and go big? And that's what we did. We, you know, we're still fairly young, and we decided to invest a lot of money into new equipment, more real estate. Uh, put a lot of feet on the street to support the brand because uh, I mean back then it was you know there's two or three thousand breweries, um, seven thousand now. Now yeah. there's seven thousand. Yeah. So um, anyway, it's it's been a it's been a hell of a journey and and kind of a fun adventure. But when do you make up that decision, or what went into that decision of okay, like we've we've carved out a nice little footprint for ourselves. You know, we're we're Michigan known. Uh, you know, you guys are a destination in Grand Rapids and in that part of uh, the state. Uh, you know, beers like KBS uh, sort of put you guys on the map a little bit uh, and, and got people interested in what you guys were doing. And you could probably be a, a perfectly fine regional brewery. Yeah, I, th- I think we, yeah, I mean, we could have sat back and said, hey, this is kind of a good little gig we've got going here and, you know. So what, then, so what pushed you then to say, all right, let's double down, let's get the money, let's, let, let's go from there? Because there's some people who I think get to that point and it's a, it's a toss of a coin. It's going to be... A comfort level, I guess. And, you know, I mean, there's no, no question. There's stress that goes along with it. But um, we're, you know, we're fairly accustomed to pretty significant growth. And, um, you know, we looked at it and, you know what, we love what we do. And I think there's kind of an entrepreneurial spirit to... You know, when someone says, oh, you, sh- you can't do this or, you know, this won't work, it's kind of fun to just kind of say, you know what, watch us. So um, I've, been, I've been saying that to our team, you know, 12 years ago when we were producing, you know, 6,000 barrels a year, if, if people would turn around and say 10 years from now you'll be doing, you know, 600,000 barrels, people would say, no way. And, you know, here we are. And um and you guys have capacity for a million at this we're, point. We're about a million between our uh, facilities. Um, and, you know, we're going to get to the point, you know, fairly soon where, you know, we're already looking at, you know, do we, is it time to start looking for real estate for another facility? And that's, you know, that may be down the road a little bit. But, um, you know, you're always looking at the landscape and you always have to look a few years out. When you talk about coming into the industry and some of the groundwork that folks like Bells and Sierra and, and, and New Belgium and all sort of laid out uh, for you guys. And you now mention, okay, look at the landscape, try to figure out uh, new property, new places to grow. Are some of the places like Green Flash a cautionary tale for you or uh, you know what we saw, you know, even with uh, Lagunitas, uh, that they were going to put in their, their new Southern California brewery, and that didn't happen. And a lot of the expansion from you know folks going to the to the from the West Coast to the East Coast as yeah. well, you know, like Sierra rec- realized that dream, and, and it's worked out really well for them. But there's been a few others that just haven't gotten there. You know, Deschutes was on plan for Roanoke for a while, and I sure. don't think that that's on the board anymore. Well, I think you know we we look at it, and obviously, I mean, we're pretty sophisticated business and we've got the tools now that we can look at our numbers and look at our growth rates and you know quite honestly I mean we've all seen it right now what we should what we should all be doing in this entire industry is holding each other's hands and getting more people to drink beer again and quit name calling and um, quit kind of defining who's craft who's not craft and quit the, the mudslinging and let's see if we can pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and start saying let's build this category up again and make it cool again but see, that's such an interesting take, right? Because, what is it, four years ago, uh, you guys sold 30% of your company to the Spanish brewer Mahul, right? Mao. Mao, yeah, sorry. Mao San Miguel. And 
all of a sudden, uh, the club that you had been a part of yeah, not, said that cool you guys anymore. couldn't couldn't be in that <laughs> club anymore. It's I, I'll tell you what, it the the um, partnership with Mao has been nothing but remarkable. Just what a you know what a what a spectacular family, what a great partnership, and it, it truly is a partnership. Um, we spend a decent amount of time in Spain. Um, and they come over. That's worth it for the thirty percent alone. <laughs> well, yeah, Spain's pretty pretty <laughs> wonderful, but um, you know they've got people in Grand Rapids, um, and you know they're really interested in, in what we do as a you know in, in the beer industry as a category. Um, they see what we've done as North American brewers, and they think that this is the future on a global scale. So, you know, their partnership was really I think part of their motivation was they they think this is going to be the model that will that can take. Can go on a global basis, but but to go back to, to what you were saying though, of, you know the name calling and, and what we call ourselves and, and and things like that. I mean, every time that there's one of these, and this wasn't an acquisition. This was you know they, they took part of your company. This isn't like AB came in and, and lock stock and barrel. Yeah. Um, but still, there there's this hand wringing and there's these fraught blog posts and there's you know the the fans taken to the Facebook page and saying we loved you guys and now you're 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 not craft and you know and and, and I agree with you that that there does need to be a bit of a reckoning on some of that and yeah. we, we need to rethink of that do you guys I mean, are you a craft brewer oh absolutely how yeah, do you, how do you mean, define so the BA has their definition which a lot of people just kind of fall know, in line you know with. what I, I mean it sounds silly but I, I you know what defines a craft brewer first of all I, I think we should just get rid of the, the word craft oh, I well, mean we're, amen, we're a brewer amen to that but yeah yeah I mean anybody um, who's read my new book knows that where yeah, I, I mean, fall with you, that yeah you know just Des, being, despite the name of this small, podcast being the Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine podcast, yeah, we've yeah. been saying you know you know being small doesn't mean quality, being local doesn't mean quality, doesn't mean fresh, doesn't mean consistent. Um, you know what? We've worked our ass off for twenty some years to hone our craft and to be really really good at what we do. So I you know maybe it's juvenile, but I I, I consider a craft brewer based on the the quality and consistency of their liquid. And the ones who survived that shakeout when you when you were getting into the industry are the ones who were really focused on quality yeah. and making sure like they weren't necessarily just dicking around like well, it was. I think you look at like the top larger breweries in the United States. You know, we didn't get there by accident. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I will say this. And you know, maybe twenty years ago we had some some happy mistakes, <laughs> um, but um, and well, that, that goes well, into well, the line of like experimentation and you know kind of throwing away the rule book and doing things our own way and sometimes it works and you know most often it doesn't work but you you learn what's a beer that you would call a happy mistake that you guys put out that people would know um you know man a whole a whole bunch of them maybe not mistakes but you know well, I'm, I, I'm using your word so you know like when we started barrel aging you know and for some of the listeners that don't realize it but you know 20 years ago barrel aging was kind of a new phenomenon sure um we didn't know what was going to happen, but you know, as you kind of go through that process, you realize something, something really magical is happening within those barrels, um, and then, you know, then all of a sudden you have to hone it, and you got to figure out, all right, well, what worked? Why does this barrel taste this way? Why does this barrel taste a little bit different? I like this aspect of this barrel. I don't like this one. Um, anyway, so you know, we kind of threw away that rule book a long time ago and said, let's just you know experiment and um, have fun and. If it means that we're going to try something and it may end up in the drain, you know, so be it. What if something something magical happens? And I, I would say, uh, you know, we've got 
these scissor barrels, these barrels that have previously been aging uh, Michigan maple syrup. Um, I would say that was kind of a happy mistake. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a friend who's a Steve Stallard, who's a phenomenal chef and just a great guy. And, you know, he has this barrel-aged maple syrup, and he had these barrels that he, when he was finished, he didn't know what to do with them, and he became a friend, and we started uh, aging some of our, our beers in them, and something magical happened, you know, and that's one of those fun things that, that kind of happened. It wasn't, it wasn't a big strategy around it, but... Is it, is it hard, though, the larger you get, and, and, and we'll talk about some of the, the core beers in a minute, but the larger you get, is it hard... Is it harder or is it easier to, to, to retain some of that entrepreneurial spirit? Because, I mean, you're talking about, you know, tables and actual aerials and, you know, you're looking at the numbers as to where you can grow and where you could, you know, open up a new place. And, you know, you have you have business meetings now that are much of uh, on a much higher level than when you guys first started in 97. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, you know, as, as I guess as a company, you've grown also, you know, we've grown and matured. Yeah. Um, you know, we look at data data doesn't lie and um, you know that we we have some markets that are are quite mature and then we have some markets that we're fairly new in into Um, we're in uh, we'll be in 47 states uh, I think by the end of this month it's incredible so uh, we're opening up Colorado this month so we we still have a a few markets that we're not in but you know along the lines um, you know we've looked at this and there are certain markets where our brand is really really well established and then you know you go you know out west and pacific northwest where it's you know one it's crowded market it's a mature market um so our brand's a little different there we see consumers um buying um their buying habits are a little bit different um you know we kind of created the you know the the session ipa category with all day ipa i mean we kind of we tend to look at our uh our business from a from a big step back and we go, all right, we kind of built our reputation off of KBS and Devil Dancer and Curmudgeon Old Ale and Dirty Bastard and Backwoods Bastard. Um, and then, you know, 14 years into this adventure, all of a sudden we introduce a Session IPA and all of a sudden we've got a high volume brand that's kind of taken over. And it's like 60% of what you guys make. Uh, yeah, a little bit less than that. But, okay. Um, yeah, Solid it, Gold's cut into that now? Uh, well, you know what, we've... We've got a just this awesome portfolio, you know. So yeah, Solid Gold is now the the brand that's kind of going after that domestic premium drinker, and um, you know we kind of look at it and say, you know, the the beer consumer today needs something that they can have this emotional tie-in, and um, you know they look at a brewery that's you know really only you know 22 years old, and I think our brand resonates with this younger generation that people can kind of look back and, you know, we're, we're still here and, uh, they can see the, the, the dream and the adventure that we've been on. Um, and they can, you know, they're part of it. So it's, it's been a hell of a, hell of a ride. I mean, what, what's fascinating to me though, is did you guys think that when you put out all day, was that just because with IPAs, everybody's been trying to find, that magic bullet, right? Uh-huh. It's it's Sierra Nevada created the category for for the American Pale Ale, yeah. and everybody's been trying to replicate and find their own path, you know, for that. And these days, it's it's juicy or it's brute, but we've seen black IPA kind of come by the wayside. And I, I think in a lot of ways, we've seen session IPA at smaller breweries go by the wayside. Like I don't walk into a lot of places and see 
a session IPA in the way that you guys make a session IPA on a lot of taps, which yeah. which is shocking to me because of how well it's doing for you guys. Was, was this something that, and, and I want to point out, I have our best of issue, our best of 2018, and in our Desert Island Beers and Breweries, this was part of our reader's choice, uh, uh-huh. All Day was number five for nice. if you could drink only one beer for the rest of your life. Uh, you guys were number five. Guinness was before you. My homebrew made it at number three because, of course, our <laughs> readers. Uh, Two-Hearted is number two. And then Sierra Pale, number one. But, nice. you know, when you look at Sierra Pale, Two-Hearted, Guinness, and then you guys, these are all category definers. Yeah, pretty much iconic brands. Right. That's awesome. It's great did, to be included in that. Did, and you guys are all over this list, uh, yeah. all over these lists uh, from and our readers. So and I, I want to... I look at that and I think that, you know, the brand is essentially about five years old. Right. So... Um, and you're up against brands that have been around for much long, longer than yeah, that. a long time. So it, it's really, you know, it's, you know, it's quite honestly, it's really humbling but, but to, to have our, our beer in there. Did you see that coming or was this, like, at the time it's like, hey, sessions are doing it, let's just... No, because at the time, Sessions weren't doing it. Okay. Um, this was honestly us. I mean, we say brewed for us for a reason. Uh, we looked at the landscape. We knew that there were a bunch of breweries in the planning ses- uh, planning stages, and we knew IPAs were hot. And our challenge was, why don't, why don't we create a beer that has all the flavor you'd expect from founders, but lower in ABV, um, huge aromatics, and um, we needed a volume driver, to be honest. We had a bunch of beers that were... You know, it kind of defined the brewery, you know, being things like, you know, a Backwoods Bastard or yeah. a Kentucky Breakfast Stout. So, because um, it was such a departure, though. I yeah. remember when this beer first came out and I was saying, like, God, this isn't, this isn't Founders. Like, Founders, like, they do the... All you, Founders. But, but, but they do, <laughs> but you guys were doing, like, this high ABV stuff yeah. that, you know, that I think a, a lot of drinkers of my generation who were first introduced to you yeah. were used to some sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, it's, you threw the pendulum the other way. Yeah, we did. And um, and I think it, what was interesting is when we were developing the beer, first and foremost, it had to be brewed for the hardcore beer enthusiasts. This wasn't founders saying, hey, we're looking for um, something that we can market to a new customer. We were like, this is, this is brewed for... Um, hardcore beer enthusiasts that quite honestly as we were getting older you know my, my story is I've got a bunch of young kids at the time and I was reading to my daughters and you know after I was drinking you know <laughs> three or four of our other brands I was you know trying to be a dad and reading to my kids and I was I wasn't loaded but I was I'm tired you know sure I'm, I'm we'll reading, call it tired dad I'm, I'm reading Beatrix Potter and I'm falling asleep um <laughs> And my kids were yelling at me. So I'm like, man, I'm like, you know, I love Centennial IPA. I just absolutely love that brand. But, you know, at 7.2, it was leaving a mark. And so um, anyway, we said if, if we could create a brand that, that was all founders, but just lower in ABV um, and, you know, big aromatics, that was the goal. And um, I, I'd say one of the most telling things that we always look at, you know, um, back then we weren't doing a lot of um, sampling and doing surveys but um we talked to other friends in the industry a lot of other brewers kept saying oh my god this beer that you guys are this thing's awesome and um i think a lot of us that had been in the industry for a long time were, were really looking for um a beer that had had flavor but we we realized in the industry that we're in that we all tend to you know we all drink beer every single day and it was like we want something that's got all this flavor but you know we're still we're still running a big business yeah and you have to be responsible. And a growing business yeah. as well. Like it's so I, I would say this, um, you know, kind of 
to finish up on all day, what we realized uh, really quickly was, um, you know, one, the brand belonged in a can. Um, at that at the, that point, we hadn't gone into aluminum yet. Um, but we, we realized very, very quickly that this was kind of creating a bridge between, even though it was targeted towards craft beer drinkers, that there were a lot of people that were kind of curious about our category and said, you know what, I love the aroma on this beer. And it, so it, it did open the doors to like a whole new generation of beer enthusiasts. And then does that translate in then to solid gold and a lot of these other beers that you guys have been doing because the thing that I'm always sort of amazed at when, when it comes to, to the craft segment for lack of a better word is it's 13% of the overall marketplace so there's 87% of beer drinkers who are drinking Bud Miller Coors or know the words Pilsners and Lagers and in my opinion, the smart breweries, and, and there's places like Sam Adams, which has been doing it for a long time, that are sort of at this disadvantage because they're pigeonholed now in a certain way. Sure. But you guys with Solid Gold, or we've seen Firestone with Lager and Pivo and some of the others, or 805, yeah. uh, you know, get into this overall marketplace right now. I think you're being robbed. Um, uh, <laughs> just pulling stuff out of your jacket. That's right. Um, but as you, you, know, you see these brewers who are now early craft adopters who were big on flavor but who were now chasing the other 87% of the marketplace, the, yeah. the, the place that you can actually grow. Well, I think we're looking at it with, I mean, with the 7,000 breweries that you just mentioned. Yeah. You know, and I always think that's kind of a misnomer too because the vast majority of those 7,000 are uh, brew pubs, um, you know, or, or very, very small breweries. Um but we, we do look at the, the, the category in general, and it, there's no question that, you know, we've been selling craft to craft. You know, we, yeah. we've been looking at this 13%, and we, we market, um, we're brewing beers just for these people, uh, for this, this very, very small fraction of beer drinkers. And that's, I think, what we've been saying now is with this introduction of solid gold is, you know, there's a much bigger swimming pool right over the fence there yeah. and why don't we why don't we get in there um, why don't we jump in their pool and you know there's no question that some of the bigger guys Anheuser-Busch Miller Coors have been losing market share for years decades um, you know one to two one to three percent you know annually there's a lot of people that aren't drinking beer anymore and that's so our the thing that we keep saying is one, let's pick up some of those pieces. Let's pick up some of that market share that those guys are losing. Yeah. But let's also kind of build the category and let's make beer sexy again. Is it difficult, though? Because this is one of the things that I wanted to ask you. The larger you get, the harder it is to have this sort of, you know, intimate. Yeah, we're, I think we're just ordering more beers I now just need another point. beer. Yeah, no, it's. Uh... Yeah, please. Thank you. Um, can we're I, just going to hey, order a bit. We're just going to keep going. Can I get that pill for Armstead? Yeah. Do you have a request? Oh, I was just going to do the pills, the 28. The number 28? Yeah. Oh, that's very good. I just yeah, that's no, yeah. so good. Nice. Nice. Maybe we'll cut this out, but we probably won't. This that's is fine. This is, you know. Sorry. This is New York. This is happening right now. We should have had a signal beforehand of, like, the high five of uh, we're empty. Yeah. Depends um, on where we do this. Something. That's also true. <laughs> but... One of the things that I want to ask you, though, is is the larger you get, the harder it is to have that intimate connection with people. And and so much of the 
in that 13% right of craft yeah. right now where line life is ruling Instagram blows up every time that there's a, a small batch can release from the yeah. it brewery of the moment and I imagine that there's got to be even though you guys are doing really well and making money hand over fist and producing you know as much beer as you are there has to be a little bit of oh we should try to do something like that or or well, no. Quite honestly, I mean, our, our our tap room. We've got two tap rooms. We've got a. We just opened up a location in Detroit, uh, which is just about a year old. Um, and our tap room in Grand Rapids has been doing really well. Um, you know, to me, that's that's the personality. That's the heart of of our um, of the brewery. Yeah. Um, and we we have these tap rooms. Uh, we brew up both of them, and we're constantly, you know. I always say we push the liquid envelope. We've got some experimental brands that go in there, and I mean that's we we listen to the people, um, and we uh, experiment, have fun. Um, obviously, you're not always going to hit a bullseye, but um, we listen. I mean, we've got we've got an app where people can come into our tap room, try one of our beers, and they rate it. Um, again, we're very data driven. Is it untapped? No, no. Okay. This you is our own. Your this own? is our own app. Um, and then you know, Jer. Jeremy Kazmicki, who's who's with us here, um, Jer gets all all the feedback, and there's ratings, and we read all the comments and on what people think, and um, you know, I, I wish more people used it because I, I didn't know you guys were, were were doing that, and this is a good way to, to, to get that out there. Does it have to be tap room only, or is it just all for for wherever I'm drinking your beers? Uh, no, it's in our tap room. Okay, yeah. Um, why not just rely on Untapped for something like that? Well, we do. We, we do look at the ratings. We look at uh, some of the other websites that are, are doing beer ratings and Untapped. And, yeah. Um, we do. We, we use everything. But um, is there something that's better about your internal data that... Well, because they're, they're essentially beers that are only, they're exclusively available at Founders. So okay. these are experimental brands and... Um, and you know, you know, because but like what? But what does that like? If I check in at your app at your place, uh-huh. what is that going to tell you that some of these other companies don't? Um, well, I guess it's just because we've got a decent, uh, we've got you know almost seventeen hundred members or eighteen hundred members of our mug club. Yeah, it, it's just we're we're getting an audience that that's coming in. We know that they're you know either they're mug club members or regulars. Or they're beer enthusiasts that are actually making an investment to, to come to our uh, oh, you know you come so to much. our facility and um, cheers. By the way. cheers. Um, yeah, I mean they're vested beer enthusiasts. So yeah, you're drinking the Hill Farmstead there. Uh, yeah, the, the the hazy thing is still. It's not going away, you know. I don't know. I kept thinking that it was going to go away, but it's still here. Are you gonna? Are you guys gonna get into that? Um, we have not. Um, you know, we, we like we like to see through our beers. Uh, I'm, All right, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to lie. I, I do. I, I like uh, I like the hazies, uh, New England style. Yeah. Um, in in small amounts, but I was. Uh, it's it's interesting. I love the fact that um, I guess you know because of you know our of our, our growth, we we distribute in in Europe. Um, I was in the UK last year, and uh, we visited a bunch of, you know, like twenty small breweries. And every every brewery, I'm like, "What's your, you know, what's your highest volume brand?" And every single one of us, like, "Oh, our New England IPA." Um, that we are that we're completely uh, influencing other countries. 
Well, absolutely. But you know what's so interesting is that again, I'm going to go back to our readers' choice, our best beers of uh, of, of 2018, and. Sierra Nevada actually showed up on the list with Hazy Little Thing this year for the first time. Oh, really? Which was, and this was this was, this was our readers uh, doing it uh, all day. Uh, also, number six. Okay. Uh, by you know, top fifty uh, best beers uh, according to our readers. I uh, and um, I forget yeah, where Sierra's Hazy Little Things. Um, I've got some in my fridge. I think that's one of those misnomers that a lot of people think that we own, we exclusively drink our own beer. But yeah. Um, but one, that, one but, of the guys that works for us, Jason Haystack, who's uh, kind of led our barrel aging. Um, it's, he likes uh, Sierra's Hazy. And uh, anyway, he had mentioned it. So the next time I was at the store, I picked some up. Um, but I that's love, one of the things, though, right? I mean, it, it's harder as you get bigger because that, that, again, that's sort of this intimate beer style, right, where people line up for it and you're supposed to drink it fresh and you're supposed to, you know, it's a sticker can direct from the brewery, limited quantities, and that's yeah. part of the allure of that overall style. And and the larger it is your brewery is, the harder it is to actually do yeah. that style. No you know, question. And Sarah's doing it well, but Sam Adams' New England Style IPA did not make this list, uh-huh. um, which I, I don't think surprises a lot of people. It's a fine beer, but there's something about... That that intimacy of it, and and I just I wonder. Everyone, I mean that. I mean that. I think that's any business. So everyone yeah. wants what they can't get. They want. I mean, there's a kind of this. You know, sometimes I think breweries kind of create this false sense of urgency that hey, this is it's only going to be available for you know two days or this yeah. one weekend a year. It's kind of a cool thing to get people interested and engaged in your brand. And you guys used to do that with KBS. I mean, there's a whole KBS week, and K- it used to KBS, be like a whole... Well, K- you know, KBS kind of was this... Kentucky breakfast out for those of you who are Yeah, so KBS, when this. it initially came out, quite honestly, it was hard to get rid of. No one, you know, it was... I, I don't know this for a fact, but I think it was the first barrel-aged beer to ever be I have packaged. to fact-check every story you tell me, by All the way. Right, we have a do. history, but yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think it was the first barrel-aged beer ever to be packaged... Um, anyway, and it was you know it was hey, gonna send close, you a close to a twenty dollar yeah. four pack, um, you know, and, and we our breweries in in fairly conservative West Michigan, so people weren't accustomed to paying twenty dollars for for four beers, twelve and, ounce bottles. What's that? Twelve ounce bottles. Yeah, twelve ounce. Yeah. Um, anyway, you have but, headphones if it's getting too loud for oh, you. By fine. the way, that's um, anyway. But I remember back in the day when I was bartending, and we would have you know our our 10 case display and it would sit out there and maybe you'd sell, you know, a couple cases a weekend um, to now, now that we've kind of created this beer enthusiast community. Um, and, you know, now, you know, it got to the point when we would release KBS, we had, you know, a couple thousand people in line on a Saturday morning Yeah, and people, you know, people, we had people fly in from, you know, they made it a, a destination thing. So we had people flying from Australia and all over the United States. Um, and it, quite honestly, it became a, a burden on our community. Our police department, there are people, you know, drinking and paying in public. And we realized, you know, as stewards of our community, we need to work with our, our local government, make sure that everyone had a good experience. You know, no one wants to sit in line for 24 hours and, you know, either not, not get the experience that they had hoped for yeah so we changed it into uh, a week-long celebration and it, it worked out really really well these days though and, and and it used to be you know i'd walk into a I, and i'm talking as recent as three years ago two years ago i'd walk into a bar at kbs season whenever it is that you guys release it it's like late spring something like that yeah or it's, it's uh, varied, usually March, I guess. April. yeah 
Um, and places that had kegs of it would be selling it for 20 bucks a, an 8 ounce glass and a lot of the times the money would go to charity uh, you'd walk into to package stores or I'd walk into package stores and it would be you know KBS ask for it behind the bar limit one bottle per person yeah. and then as you guys have started to grow in the last couple of years and, and production has sort of ramped up you know I remember walking into a CVS of all places a drugstore yeah. uh, and seeing six packs of it or four packs of it just yeah. rows and rows and rows of it and it's like Huh, nobody's buying this in the same way that they used to, or there's so much more out there. Well, and, and we've seen it with Goose Island as well, like where, you know, uh, Bourbon, Bourbon County, County comes out, yeah. and five months later, you can still you can still see it on shelves. Yeah, I think KBS has, uh, you know, and, th- and that kind of falls back into the, the investment we made as a, as a brewery. We got to the point where we realized that, you know, one, um, barrel-aged beers are, are here for a reason. People really, really enjoy them. Yeah. Um, they're not the um, you know the elusive white whales that they used to be. Not all of them. Um, KBS is you know the brand's 18 years old. Yeah. Um, and so what we what we started realizing is one we built an entire uh, when we were building a storage facility um, right about a mile down the road from our uh, home base. Um, we had a storage facility where um, you know a warehouse. And also, we realized, you know what? It'd be great if we had another brewery right here just for barrel-aged beer. Um, and so, like, I think last year we used around 27,000 bourbon barrels. Um, and those take up a lot of space. And so, um, and to have a facility just dedicated just for barrel-aged beers has been really great. Yeah. Um, because, one, yes, we're going to produce them in much higher volume. Um, so they're more accessible. It doesn't just have to go to... You know these these high-end beer bars and these you know these you know a handful of accounts. Um, barrel-aged beer now is as craft beer is becoming a bit more mainstream. Um, you know these brands belong everywhere. Yeah. And it shouldn't just be like you know you get you know you're lucky to get two cases of like it and you have if that yeah, yeah. And you have to allocate one one twelve ounce per customer. Uh, we want them to go the distance, and we want people to look at them as, you know, it's, it's great liquid, and it's uh, one of those things that you also have to, just because it's more widely available doesn't diminish the, the quality of the, the liquid inside. So, again, going back to, and just by nature of when we're recording this, our Best of 2018 issue just came out. I normally don't quote heavily from issues on this, but we have our wish list beers and brewers uh, list, again, from our readers. And Founders actually made number 10 of wish list breweries. This is, you know, something that you haven't had yet that you've heard a lot of uh, about and you'd like to do it. You know, you'd like to have beers from them. You. The brewery itself is number 10. Uh, on the beers list, number 13 out of 15, though, is CBS. Yeah. So uh, Canadian Breakfast Out or Canada Breakfast Out. How do you Canadian guys? Breakfast Canadian Breakfast Out. Canadian Breakfast Out, right. So uh, uh, aged in maple ba- uh, barrels. We were talking about this earlier. And KBS isn't on this list, which sort of tells me that you know the people who fill out this list have had had it before, so it's no longer on their wish list. Yeah. Um, Pliny the Elder's number one, by the way, on this okay. list. But... Um, I wonder, though, for you guys, like, it's, it, it's cool to have this one beer in KBS for so long that people sought after, and now that they've had it and they, they enjoy it, they might still buy it, or I'm sure they're still buying it because it's doing yeah. well for you guys. But now to have CBS to sort of follow that up where... Yeah, CBS has kind of taken that, you know, that, you know, that elusive white whale 
from KBS and KBS, you know, as, as we have invested in this other facility and made it, um, you know, increase the volume on it. Yeah. So we can't, we, we, again, we, we knew this was going to happen yeah. and we said, that's okay because more people deserve to get KBS. You know, it's still, it's been, you know, voted best beer in the world. And I, I kind of look at all these, you know, no offense, but a, a lot of <laughs> it's things where it's like, list. oh, this yeah. is the this is the best. You know, I want more people drinking beer at the end of the day. But when you're talking about the white whale, though, and having two beers that have captured the imagination of at least vocal beer drinkers, though, yeah, is there a pressure to keep that going to find the next blank BS at some point? Well, I uh, I'm not going to lie that there, you're always. You're always looking for the down the road. You're looking at the future, and um, I mean that's what everyone. That, that's a very common question. You yeah. know, what's what's the next trend? Well, I'm um, not even saying next trend. Like it's you know. Oh, you're talking about like the just elusive beers. Yeah, like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like you guys have had lightning in a bottle twice with this, which you know some brewers would kill for. Well, I mean KBS and CBS, but I would say the lightning is an all day IPA. That's okay. fucking crushing. <laughs> you know, I mean. I mean, we, we love those, you know, I guess somewhat lower volume, you know, high exposure brands. But, you know, at the end of the day, what, what pays the bills uh, keep, and keeps the lights on is, uh, you know, selling high volume of beers that, that tend to be in people's fridges all the time. When you talk about paying the bills, this is kind of interesting. So 2001 was a, admittedly, and, and I've talked with you about this in the past and uh, you know, other folks at the brewery, uh, you guys are near bankruptcy. You guys made a beer called Bolt Cutter, uh, which you went out and bought a pair of bolt cutters because you thought the bank was going to actually... They're going to chain our doors shut. Yeah, and yeah. you were going to just somehow clip them open and just get back to business, as it were, which was, you know... It's, it's a good story, it, isn't it's, it? It's cute, it's cute. <laughs> um, let's, we'll fact check it as well, but yeah. Um, but you guys were in dire financial straits and... We've been in dire straits multiple times. But that... I think, but again, and most small businesses have. Yeah. We're just we're just in the beer industry where people it's kind of we're novelty and people talk about it. But any you know people that open up a restaurant, you know, mm-hmm. anyone that owns a restaurant goes through good times and bad times. But what I want to ask though is we're talking about these seven thousand breweries that are in there right now, and there's a lot of folks who because it is the beer industry get into it thinking oh this is going to be great or oh I'm just going to make some beer and I'm going to keep the lights on and I'm going to you know be a millionaire or I'm going to do all of these other things and there, there, there's tell, folks who I think t- that I tell everyone I'm like don't the, the motivation um, of why people want to start a brewery um, is interesting to me because you know uh, for years you know for you know nearly 20 years we've met with people when they say oh I want to start a brewery because from the outside what, what we do as as brewers looks really fun yeah it's very romantic we you know, we run pubs, we have tasting rooms, you know, there's this kind of, you know, pseudo-celebrity, people know who we are when they walk into your tap room, then, oh, that's the owner over there, and look, he's smiling and having beers, and oh, he's living the life. Yeah, he's going they, home to read books to his kids, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, they don't know the, you know, the sleepless nights or the two o'clock in the morning calls that, you know, that you get and say, oh, you know, our cash register didn't Z outright last night, or oh, the, the toilet backed up. And you know, or so and so quit mid shift, and you know, there's, um, it's it's not as romantic 
as, as it may look. And I always say, you know, what is your motivation? Because I always say, you know, this isn't necessarily, you know, the, the rich man's game. So um, it, it's, you know, are you doing it for the right reasons? Is, is your motivation because you really love the industry? Or, um, you know, what, what drives you? And for us, it was, um, you know, we want to be known as one of the world's best brewers. I mean, and we've Mike and I, so Mike and I share that who, vision. Who for, get into that? Want to have that? Have that same thing? But I, I will say this. I mean, because the space is so, so, uh, so busy right now. Yeah. So like, I don't, and I, you know, I don't mean this in a terrible way, but you know, I think all the national players are already here. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're opening up a brewery now, your business model essentially has to be, you know, you're going to be a. You're going to start a brewery for your local community, maybe your region, because um, there's great there's great liquid all over the world. There are great brewers, trust me, all over the world right now, um, and that's I think that's one one of the fun things I get to do is you know one of the amb- ambassadors. See you, Mikey. Um, it's one of our ex employees. I was going to say you know everybody here. Um, yeah, Mike Mikey Wilcox. Works here. He's wearing, an, he's wearing an Elegant shirt. That, yeah, that's got a stain. Yeah, yeah. Um, great guy. Uh, used to work in our education department. Um, no, but I mean the the space is really busy right now. Um, so you kind of have to figure out, um, you know, what's your business model, and can you make sense of you know being a a local brewery or a local tap house that serves a bunch of great local beer. Um, or just, I should say, great beer. Yeah. Because um, the local thing has honestly been kind of a thorn in our side. Um, we make great liquid, and there are a lot of places that say, "Oh, well, we only sell beer, you know, that comes from from our uh, zip code." It's like that makes no sense at all. But reconcile that what you just said with what we were talking about earlier was you guys were at a certain point and then you could either stay the same or you could double down and, and grow. Has, has that period for craft brewers, small brewers, has that just disappeared that at this disappeared. point? I, I honestly, I think we were, I think we had about a, a year, maybe two years to either shit or get off the pot. Yeah. And it was like. You know, and this wasn't this wasn't a decision that we took lightly. I mean, this is I think about a forty-two million dollar. All right, we're going to buy more real estate. We're buying new equipment. We got you know new canning lines, new bottling lines. Hiring a whole um, you know a much larger sales force. Yeah. Um, but and we didn't do it. You know, we didn't half-ass it either. I mean, we looked at it and said we need to invest in you know uh, a chain team. Yeah. Um, what's the future? I mean, we had a lot of we had a lot of uh, what we call white space and chain because we hadn't really attacked chain at the time because our brand wasn't that large. So now we have a, a big chain department. Um, field sales has been killing it for us. Um, you know, and I, I I look at national numbers and go, all right. So last year, um, you know, I think nine out of the top twenty largest breweries in the United States were negative. We grew over 30% last year. Yeah. And we're on the same trend this year. Um, and a lot of our friends, you know, a lot, of, a lot of friends in the industry continue to struggle and their brand seems to be, um, you know, not showing some negative growth. And we continue to, to buck the system. So we're going to continue doing what we're doing. Um, you know. If you hadn't 
doubled down when you did. You know, this is the same thing as the trend question because nobody knows where that's going now, and you you yeah. can't necessarily you know see accurately through the rearview mirror. But do you think you'd be in the same? Do, where do you think your brewery would be if you didn't double down? Be making so much all day. Be making oh, you know so much. I, so I mean, if if we didn't double down, yeah. I mean, if we didn't double down, we wouldn't be in California, the Pacific Northwest. Um, would you still be doing okay? Do you think? Oh yeah, I think we'd be doing great. I mean, we've got great people. I can't say enough about our team um, and how committed they are to our brand and our culture. Um, so yeah, I think we, I think we would do fine. But you know, again, I'm I'm kind of young. 48 yeah you know my partner uh, I think Mike's maybe two years older than me um, I don't know we're having fun we love what we do and I hope um, I, th- I think I think our team understands how much fun we're having and like we this is an adventure to us and so um, we're gonna keep growing and honestly I mean my goal is to just continue to grow this thing um, we want to be you know, and it goes right back to what we had said, you know, years and years ago. We want to be known as some of the best brewers um, in the world. And so we're going to keep doing this. And I think Solid Gold is going to reach a new audience and potentially go for, you know, when we hit that million barrel mark. I mean, I, I see the writing on the wall that, you know, we could be a multi-million barrel brewery you know, a few years down the road. Hmm. Maybe we'll be sitting at the Blind Tiger, you know, five years from now and go, well, I can't believe you guys just did five million barrels. Yeah. Maybe you guys we might will. own the Blind Tiger at that point. Uh, and, uh, no, these guys do a great job yeah. on their own. Um, you mentioned uh, company culture, and, and obviously there's been something hanging over the brewery for the last little bit. There was a former employee who filed a lawsuit uh, in which he called uh, uh, a racist internal corporate culture. Um, and uh, somebody who worked for you guys for a couple years who filed a lawsuit uh, who said that he had a, a, a difficult time, uh, was subject to some, some pretty sure. uh, unsavory things. Yeah. Obviously, I can't talk about that. That's an ongoing investigation. Sure. Tracy is a good friend. Um, yeah, I can't say anything. I can't. I can't say anything. About what I will say though is that, uh, and 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 I figured that that's what you were going to say though. But there was a statement that one of your attorneys put out, uh, and this is according to the Metro Times, uh, acknowledged that there are several instances in which employees used uh, a racial epitaph um, uh, around there, and the company suggested, um, you know, uh, that this person was fired for other reasons as opposed to to Absolutely. what he was alleging. But when your attorney comes out and gives a statement that acknowledges that, you know, words that are socially un- un- unacceptable, and in this case the N-word, uh, uh, being used. Absolutely unacceptable. Right. But acknowledging that this happened in the past sure. and acknowledging that, that, that this happened, I, I wonder because... So, you know, John, we, I'll, I'll yeah. stop you there because we can't control what our what every employee says, but I can say that it is 100% against our company policy and those... Those employees were uh, addressed, and um, it was it was uh, it, it is absolutely unacceptable to our company and our policy. So those those employees that did use those slurs um, absolutely were dealt with. And 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 I think that's great. And that's this needs to happen, right? I mean, it's it, you can't, as you say, control what employees say, and you want to. You know, foster an environment. You know, not only for for your employees, but there's also this public image uh, that comes with you know any sort of uh, of, of outfacing thing. And, and we've this. seen such growth in the industry these days that it's 
it was surprising to me that we hadn't heard more stories like this beforehand. And well, you know, here we are, 22 years into this uh, into this business, and the ethos of our company from day one has been, um, you know, regardless of anyone's um, race, gender, ethnicity, sexuality, uh, political affiliations, religious affiliations, uh, founders has always been 100% um, all accepting. Like, no matter who you are, um, you know, regardless of your background, um, everyone is welcome at Founders. So... um, that, that's why the, this this has hit us. I'm gonna, I'll tell you, it, it, it has hit us. Uh, but this will make us a better company. It has opened up some things. It has forced us to look at our business a little differently because we constantly are looking for improvement. You know, continuous improvement. That's and all we can do. And it's not just about the liquid. Well, it's you know we we are we're a brewery. with improvements. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, we in everything we do, we're constantly looking at improving. You know our process, our customer experience, um, but then internally, yeah, there are things that were. This has opened up some things and said, you know what? Maybe we could be better here. Maybe we should open up a new uh, avenue for communication here. Um, so, but it, it has been very stressful, um, and it, yeah, it's been very difficult. It's amazing what can what can happen on social media. And then when you talk to the PR firms and they say, don't say anything, release a statement, and then don't say anything. And, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, I think Mike and I have really struggled with because, you know, you want to get on the top of a building and shout, hey, look, here, look at our 21-year history. Look at, I mean, look at our staff right now. And you go, um, look how strong we are. And then something like this happens and it hits you in social media and you can't you know you can't wrap your hands around it and you can't make it stop but um i can say this that you know that we are doing everything we can we've had town hall meetings with our entire staff and everyone's on board and so uh, it has been business as usual we're gonna put together some new programs um and it'll make us better in, in the long run as we start to wrap up here i've been asking folks who've been sitting down with me for this podcast. And I'm imagining this might go back to some of the earlier things that we were talking about beforehand, but what's your hope for beer? My hope for beer is that beer is, um, you know, it's widely respected. And I think we need to work as a uh, category to help each other out. Um, And it is interesting to me that you look at the the wine industry, you look at the spirits industry, and there's, from what I've seen, there's never any mudslinging, there's no name calling. Um, We're in this industry in beer that continues to lose market share, and we shouldn't. uh, This is at a, we're at a time right now that we should be, you know, holding hands and helping each other up and trying to build this category, Um, not the craft beer category, but the beer category. And work together um, to build this category up together. Um, this is not a time that we need to be uh, name calling and trying to decide who's cool and who's who's not cool anymore. Um, and then we'll all do well, you know. 
Dave Angros, uh, Angros, sorry, uh, the second pint's hitting me now, uh, right. from co-founder of Founders Brewing, founded in 1997, I'm just going to say it for the for the mouthfeel uh, of the whole thing, uh, thanks for sitting down and, and having a fun conversation. It's always fun, and thanks to the folks here at the Blind Tiger for uh, hosting us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you have questions for me, dear listeners, I uh, guess you'd like to hear topics you'd like discussed, uh, or just want to give criticism and feedback, uh, you can reach me at John Hall, it's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beerandbrewing.com or you can join the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Uh, go to beerandbrewing.com there. You can subscribe to the magazine. Please, please, please subscribe to the magazine and you can read great stories about how to be a better home brewer, about what's happening with craft beer culture in America right now uh, and more. And with that, Dave, thanks again. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrewing.